In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. So, as you will remember, we started in the last session with a slightly more detailed presentation and addressing of the complicated, sometimes controversial, problematic issue of evil in the world. Not to take anything away from anything we've said until now, uh, but this is just a more detailed and a different angle to the issue. Everything we have said until now still holds and it's still good. Uh, and maybe at the end of it, I'll mention how these two angles that we have presented differ and where they come from. They're both valid and they're both, I think, useful. And given the importance of the topic and given how it is used to attack religion and to attack belief in God, I think it's better for someone to have more arguments than less for this specific issue. So... Really, we've presented one one angle to the question or the the problem before before Shahar Muharram and when we first came back, and uh, now we're presenting a second one. And in summary, very short, the first answer that we gave is more or less the answer that is usually given by philosophy by the philosophers, and this answer that we're now giving is a little bit more coming from those who are following kalam, ilm al-kalam. And inshallah one day we can explain a lot more in detail what, what are the main differences between scholars who are, uh, you know, called philosophy or hukama. Uh, and so they try to rely more on reason. And the scholars who are usually referred to as mutakallimin or ulama al-kalam, and they usually try to rely more on what's in the scriptures. Okay, so what we're doing right now is presenting the second, more or less, the second group, the answer of the second group. We already gave one answer. We didn't go all the way because there are some issues that are problematic or that may cause more questions than give answers, such as if we talk, for instance, about you know evil and wrongs being non-existence. So for something to be an evil, all it means is that it does not exist or something does not exist. So that's one of the answers that are given in philosophy. So if you say, for instance, why is there you know, pain in the world? They say, well, it's, pain was not actually created as pain. It's the absence of, let's say, health or the absence of, you know, so it's an absence, not a, an actual existence. But as I said, I think that causes more problems and more issues and questions that it resolves. That's why I didn't go there. We talked about the relative evil, and that definitely is a valid point. And now we're addressing it from a different angle. So what we said is, if we wanted to go in detail about this topic, we would, re we would need a lot of time. And we're trying to kind of summarize it in a couple of sessions, so we're not going in detail in every point. That's why we tried to present the topic uh, instead with a series of first what we called axioms. So these are the things that, you know, 
take it as a general advice if you were ever to get into this topic with someone else and for your own logic there these are things that have to be accepted before you even enter into the debate okay so that's one and we gave three of them that God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must exist Otherwise, there's no point to discussing any of this. The problem of evil in the world is only a problem if you have a God. If you don't believe in God, you only believe in a materialistic world, then there is no problem with evil in the world. There is no evil. The second one was that we are actually, as human beings, capable of discerning between good and evil. And the third one is that human beings have a free will. If those three top points or subjects are not well understood and agreed upon, then there's no point in discussing any of this. And that's why we actually established all of these before in previous sessions. We went through all of these and we talked about them at length. And then we said <clears throat> there's a number of <clears throat> arguments and sub-arguments that if we wanted to give this detailed answer fully, we would need to explain in detail. These we called the rules, and we presented nine of them. We're not here going to go through each one of these rules. We said we're going to summarize them. In a few of them, we've already covered. In previous sessions, we've already talked about them. Other ones, as I said, in reality, all nine of them should be more or less intuitive. Unless you want to just argue Generally speaking, humanity agrees with these rules. They should be intuitive enough. That said, there are proofs that can be established for each one of these arguments or rules, and we're not going to go through them. But if ever you wanted to, then each one of these would become its own topic, and we would need to talk about it at length. But a lot of these would fall under the, we call it the moral philosophy, sometimes ethics, Okay, but that's a, a whole field on its own. Uh, these questions of rights and uh, rights as in who has a right over whom and how do you establish a right and then the moral right and moral wrong issue where does that come from and how do we discern it and so on and so forth so with that in mind I'll just mention the rules very quickly and then we'll explain what we're trying to do today which is I'm gonna call it part one of the detailed answer and inshallah, next time we have part two and the conclusion of all of this. So the categories in which all evils can fall. The big evils that are problematic for humanity. So the nine rules that we talked about were, and unless there are questions about them, I think they should be clear enough so we can move right away into the topic. The nine rules were, first of all, um, we said that given the nature that we explained about God, God does not commit any moral wrongs and this we explained we said if if a moral wrong is committed then we need a driver for it so either it's ignorance you don't know what's a right and a wrong or you have you know but you are incapable so there's a lack of power or uh, you do it just because and that will fall under will Okay, so you don't have you have the power and you have the knowledge, but you have no will to do the right, or you have a will to do the wrong, and none of these would apply to in the case of God. Okay, so that's the in summary the the argument for that first rule. So rule one, and this is useful because 
if you get into that discussion, when you look at the evils, you have to right away eliminate that as a as a possibility. So you have to make the evil fall into one of the other categories. And this is what we're going to see when we're going to create the categories at the end and put all the evils in them. The second rule was that there is no creature that has a right upon God. Because you are a creature of God, you don't really have a right over God. If, you have, if there are any rights, there are rights that God has imposed, or they fall under some one of the other rules. Otherwise, there is no right upon God. The only exception to this was your snowman in your head. Okay, three. And this one I think we've, ex- we've uh, explained uh, enough, and I think it's clear enough too. When there is an actor, someone who acts, who commits an action, they are responsible for that action and the result of that action. And if there is an intermediary, and that intermediary is mature and conscious, then they are responsible for that action. Okay. So if I give the means, and then whatever is done with the means is done by a conscious, willing, uh, mature entity, that entity is responsible for its own actions. Then we move to the next rule, and we spent a little bit of time explaining it, so we won't spend too much time now. When we explained the issue of evil, we said the shurur, or evil, is really two different notions that have, with time, been lumped together as being one. One of them is the issue of moral wrong. So sometimes the shar is a moral wrong, and in other cases the shar is a harm. And we said those two notions are not necessarily always linked or, you know, in a more philosophical term, there's no identity between them. Not every moral wrong is harmful and not every harm is a moral wrong. And we gave different examples to this. We said, for instance, someone who wastes time, wasting time is a moral wrong, but there's no harm in it. And sometimes there's something harmful but there is no moral wrong in it, such as, for instance, being punished for having committed an injustice, let's say, or reparation. So you do something, and this is the reward or the punishment for something that you have done. Okay. So anyone who says that would say you're re-establishing justice, and they, they would not say you are doing something that is morally wrong, morally reprehensible, even though it may cause harm, because you're punishing the person. You're taking something away from them, or you're whatever the punishment may be. Um, and then there are rules that were related to these. So these were the some of the main rules. The rules that were related to them are, for instance, if harm is done as a punishment, if it's done in an appropriate manner, then that harm is actually good. If I harm someone, but I'm harming them as an appropriate punishment or an equal punishment to something they did, a crime, an injustice, a wrong that they did, then that in itself, that harm is good because it reestablishes justice. Okay, so that's one rule. So that was rule five. Rule six, retribution or punishment to reestablish justice is good. So the harm, if I look at it from the point of view of being harm, harm as a, an equal punishment to an act is good and retribution to or punishment is good. Uh, 
if it is appropriate, if it is equal to, and all those conditions. And on the other side, we said that if someone is being harmed, they are losing something for the good of someone else, for instance, charity, for instance, as an example, then it would be good to reward them. It would be good to give them something back for what they have lost, because they have done something good, something that has benefited someone else. Okay? That's another rule. As we said, those would kind of fall as sub-rules under everything we said before. So these are the details of them. And then the two last rules, and they go together, and those would require a lot more explanation, and so that's what we're going to do today. <coughs> rule 8 and Rule 9. Rule 8 is some benefits require harm. To get to that benefit, to get to, get to that gain, to gain the benefit, you have to go through a harm. Some benefits, you don't need to go through them, through that kind of harm or that kind of pain or that kind of sacrifice or loss, but some of them you do. Okay, so that's one, that was rule eight. And rule nine, tests and tribulations, challenges, exams, okay, when you go through that type, they are good in themselves, one, and two, they always come with harm. By definition, that's what the meaning of a test is. That you are going through a harm, through a difficulty, through a challenge, through a problem, through a loss. Okay? But that gives you access to a good. So today we want to take a moment to properly explain those two, to add a few points to what the, you know, there's something obvious about them, and we want to make sure they're well understood. And then we want to spend a little bit of time before we give the final answer, we want to spend a little bit of time understanding this notion of test and tribulation. But this time we're going to do it much more Islamically. We're going to do this as though it's like between two brackets. It's like we're taking a pause from the whole discussion here, because I think this is a very relevant topic. It's an important topic, this topic of ibtila, okay, tribulation and being tested. We have to, because we're using it, so as we said, each one of these rules would require its own very extensive discussion. We're not doing that. But here this notion is very important. And I think it's going to, be, it's going to make the answers a lot clearer once we go through them, uh, as we ex will explain in a, in a moment. So the ninth rule, as we said, is test tribulations. They are good because of what they offer. But the problem is they always come, by definition, they always come with a harm. The moment you say test, it means there's a harm, there's a difficulty, there's something that you have to, you know, surpass, get over, be successful at, which means there's a, you know, something you have to overcome. So the conclusion from these two, these two rules, that's what we want to explain first. Rule one, rule eight, not rule one, the first of these two, one of them is some benefits require harm. Two, tests are good and tests require harm. So the conclusion from these two is actually one conclusion. Tests are good, but they require harm. 
Okay? That's how tests are good. Because some benefits, some things that are good, require harm. Tests is one of that. One instance of those goods that require harm. Okay? Okay, that's one. Two points about Rule 8. So what's Rule 8? Rule 8 is some benefits, some goods require harm. Two points about it. First point is sometimes when we're talking about good, we're talking about a benefit, we're really, and that's the majority of us and the majority of people, we concentrate on what is material. So we say the good, the reward, the gain is a material gain. To get to the material gain, I have to go through a material loss, a material harm. So those are the examples that we have given until now, and I think those are the examples that come to mind. I want to be successful, I have to work hard. I want to get a degree, I have to study. I have to, you know, I want to get back in shape, I have to go work out. Okay, well, there's a harm that's, that you have to go through in each one of these cases to get to a material gain. There's a material loss, a material harm that's required to get to the material gain. Okay? The truth, though, for this topic, especially from the Islamic angle that we want to present it, this type of gain and loss is actually less interesting. It's less interesting because, first of all, it follows the law of causality. These, uh, you know, gains and losses, actually they amount from the law of causality. If you understand that the world is all built on cause and effect, there is no way around this. And to a, in a certain way, in a certain, to a certain extent, the material gain and material loss could be explained by determinism. To a large extent, they are predetermined because they are clear law of causality. In some cases, some of the examples I'm mentioning actually don't always fall here. They don't fall under the heading of material gains and material losses. What they actually are, are spiritual gains and losses. And here's where it's a lot more interesting. Because when it comes to spiritual, in the very broad sense, I don't only mean spiritual in the religious sense. Spiritual as in it does something to you as a person. Not necessarily something tangible with, you know, money or something you can quantify. Or It's because it requires willpower. It requires discipline. It requires free will. You have a choice to make. So we're not talking about cause and effect automatic. This is one type of evil and problem and wrong in the world. We can explain those, but they're less interesting. The more interesting ones are the ones that actually require free will. The moment you fall under the free will, then there's a spiritual dimension to it. You're doing something, and this is a spiritual growth. Now, it may come out as a physical outcome, but the truth is there's a spiritual dimension to it because there's willpower, because there's a free will being exercised to go in a certain, to do something or not to do something. Okay? 
we want to concentrate on this spiritual, this type of evil and this type of good and this type of harm, this type, this type of gain. Anything that has this spiritual dimension to it. Okay? The reason I'm mentioning it right now is that this is going to be important when we give the present the evils and the categories in which they fall. So all I'm saying is keep this in mind. When we say there is a harm and when we say there is a gain, a benefit, it's not always only going to be material. It may also be spiritual. Okay? That's one point. The other issue that we may have is if you get stuck in the material benefits and the material harms, if that's all you see, and this is something I should probably mention at the end end, but I'm going to say it now in case some of you are, although I feel everybody's tired or a little distracted, but that's fine. Okay, but if your brains were on overdrive and you could anticipate problems with what I'm saying, the issue here that should arise <laughs> is that if you get stuck in the material gain and material harm, the issue is why did God create the world in this manner? So I understand that there, I have to go through a material harm to get to a material good. I understand that this is the nature of this world. But why did He create the world in this way? Why didn't He create it in a different way where I don't have to go through this harm to get to the good? Why did He create the world in a way where I have to go through a harm? So basically I'm questioning the good or bad, exactly, of the rule itself. We said there are benefits that can only be accessed if you go through a harm, you go through a sacrifice, you go through a problem. So if you look at it from the material aspect and you say there's only matter and I'm only looking at material gain and material loss, then this is going to generate another question. And we're going to answer it. But if you don't keep the other one in mind, the spiritual one in mind, you won't really have an answer. Okay? So I'm giving you the key to the answer right now. That's uh, the punchline, part of the punchline. It's not the entire thing. There is a spiritual dimension to this. Even though the world is created in one way, and it could have been created in another way, if, if this God of yours is truly powerful and knowledgeable and willing and, 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 then he should be able to create, or he should have created, a different kind of world where I don't have to go through staying up all night to get to the benefit of, you know, passing the exam in the morning. But, you know, given the cause and effect and the manner in which they were created, now I'm stuck in this world with these laws and I have to go through a harm to get to the gain. I have to go to the gym to get to the, reap the benefits of going to the gym. Okay, this is only a result of these specific laws. But why is it these specific laws and not other ones? Okay, so this is an issue that inshallah we're going to answer later. But this is where we have to distinguish between the material and the spiritual. And then the, the other aspect of the spiritual that I think is very interesting is that it opens the door to everything that is, as we said, you go way beyond you know, automatic causality, and you get into things that are very, very personal to people. So if I go through one type of challenge, one type of test, 
we're still talking about the tests, don't forget. If I go through one type of test, it may trigger something in me that is very different than it, what it may trigger in you. Because we're very different. So, if I get a lot of money, and you get a lot of money, we're not going to react in the same way. If I lose my health, and you lose your health, we may not react in the same way. If I lose a loved one, and you lose a loved one, we may not react in the same way. And so on and so forth. And so, if we recognize that there is variance, that there is difference at the personal level, between one person and another, then this opens the whole door to when we look at the evils, the tests, the problems that everybody is encountering, this is going to open a whole door for us so that we can't look at everything being encountered by someone and someone else as though they're all the same. What's easy for one person is going to be very difficult for another. And what makes one person a much better human being is going to make another person a much worse human being. And there is no law for this. This is kind of part of the inner secrets of this world, that we were created different. So that what makes me better may make you worse. And what makes me worse may make you better. One person, when they lose a loved one, they become much more religious and closer to God. And the other person stops believing in God. Okay? So this variance in the personalities and the backgrounds and the, from the DNA to the upbringing to the social context of every person has to be kept in mind at the same time with everything they're encountering in their life. Okay? So that's where it gets a lot more interesting to talk about the spiritual gain and harm you go through versus the material gain and harm you go through. Okay. So that's, these are the points that I wanted to mention for Rule 8. Rule 9. Rule 9 was tests and tribulations are good. And by definition, a test and tribulation requires that we go through harms. One type of reward, one type of benefit, I gave the, the punch, one type of benefit we said some benefits and tests are good because they allow you to gain, to gain a benefit one type of benefit one special type now we're going in the details one special type is reward sometimes we use the word reward you know as a generic generally here I'm using reward as it should be used reward includes more than just you do something you get something that's not a, that's the general sense. If someone, let's say, you have a race, five people are running, and one person wins the race, they get the reward. Someone who works all year, and then they get to graduate, and they get a degree, they get a reward. If you look at all these different examples, you'll see that the notion of reward includes things like an honor, you get something of a satisfaction, you get a recognition for, a, for an accomplishment. This is different 
than just cause-effect. There's an additional layer here. Something is being bestowed on you that is not necessarily material. Let's say someone puts in place a test, a university or a president or decides that I'm going to give a scholarship to whoever you know, presents the best project. There's an additional honor and there's a satisfaction that comes with it on both sides. The person who gets and the person who gives. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Even the person giving, they are happy, they're satisfied for having seen the person who, who was successful, who was the most successful. This is different than cause-effect. Cause-effect is automatic to everyone, but there's not an additional layer. Let's call it a social layer or a psychological layer. Reward comes with that. And it can only come with what? With an action, with an accomplishment. It does not come free. So if I do nothing and I get a reward, that's not a reward. If I give you money because you won a race, you deserve that money for running that race and winning it. But if I give you a reward for running a race and you didn't run the race, I just took the money and gave it to you, that's kind of foolish. It has no meaning. It has no sense. Okay? I just want to see if there was anything else I want to mention here. Okay. So I think this point should be clear. So there's a distinction between just a general benefit and a reward. And this notion is very important the moment you get into anything religious. Because in religion, it's not benefit, it's reward. So that's why I'm talking about this. We're going to park it too. These are notions we're parking now. Okay, we're just going to, we're covering them and we're putting them aside so that the categories become easy to put in place. So when does it become a non-foolish benefit? Meaning a non-foolish reward. You need three things. The first is that I need to tell you, you as the person, let's say, running the race, going through the test, wanting the reward, the first thing is you need to know. So you need knowledge, you need the information that tells you, this is, if you do it this way, these are the conditions for the scholarship. These are the conditions for running the race. If you do it this way, if you beat everybody, if you run within this time, if you give the best essay, whatever it may be, you need to know what the conditions are. You need to know what the rules of the game are. That's one. So for the reward not to be foolish, you need to know. You need the information. That's one. The second thing is, for this to be a test with a benefit that is a reward, you need true incentives on both sides. Otherwise, and the more you can create that incentive, the more people are going to intuitively recognize that you deserve a reward. What does incentive mean? Incentive is something that encourages you, that drives you to do or not to do. You need it on both sides. Like what? So if, you know, to save time and not spend too much time. Uh, without giving too many examples, let's just give the, 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 case, the case we're talking about. We have been given reason. We've been given a brain, a mind, 
that is capable of distinguishing between right and wrong. Okay? So on the one side, when you want to or not want to do something, you have reason pulling you in one direction or the other. Okay? Telling you do it, it's really good, or don't do it. So, simple example, at night, you just ate a whole bunch of junk food, and you went to bed, and you're lying in bed, and you remembered you haven't brushed your teeth. Your reason is telling you, get up and brush before you go to sleep. Okay, so reason is pulling you in one direction. That's one incentive. That's something driving you towards doing something. It's an incentive. If you brush your teeth, they will stay in good shape, and you may not need to go and get them drilled by a dentist later on, which will be painful and and and. Okay, so that's the incentive. Or you won't have to spend the money or the time, or you hate the dentist or whatever it may be. On the other side, you also have an incentive that it's really pleasurable to just be lazy and stay in bed and you just want to sleep and you're exhausted and tired and you don't really want to get up. That's an incentive. The incentive here is there's a pleasure that comes from being in bed, being comfortable and wanting to sleep. Is there an incentive on both sides? There is. Is it huge? No. And that's why no one is going to come and give you a reward for it. But when that incentive on one side and the other is a lot bigger, then that reward is going to be a lot bigger. Human beings, generally speaking, accept this. When you finish a PhD, they say the incentive to do and not to do was a lot bigger. Right? It's really, really good that you do, but the incentive of not doing is actually really, really big too. Because it takes a long time and a lot of energy and you may or may not finish, and, and, and. So if you're going to actually go through the whole thing, then we're going to give you this huge thing. That's why you deserve this huge thing and we're all going to agree that this is very prestigious and very big and, and whatever else in life happens to be in this manner. When you recognize someone, you want to honor them, you want to recognize their accomplishment, it was because the incentives on both sides were very high. If they were very small, something that looks like it's trivial, that anyone should be able to decide very quickly, no one is going to give you a medal for, okay, he got up and washed his teeth, you know, let's give him a trophy. But there are other things in life where people will come and give you a trophy, because the incentives were a lot bigger. The incentive to do or not to do were a lot bigger. So the more, the higher they are, the less foolish it is to give the reward. The more the reward is appropriate and hard-earned. Okay? So that's the notion of reward. One, you need the knowledge. Two, you need real incentives on both sides. You need an incentive to do, and you need an incentive not to do. Why? To put the free will through the test. And what we recognize as human beings is what you're doing with your free will. Because we can see the easy answer. We can see the easy way out, all of us. And we say, oh no, but the person actually went through with it. Okay, they, they deserve recognition. They deserve respect. They could have decided, oh, it's too much work. I'm too lazy. I don't feel, but they didn't. So they deserve my respect, my recognition for having gone through that. Okay? So one, you need the knowledge. Two, you need real incentives on both sides. And three, three is 
you need freedom of choice, which is the part that goes without saying. So for the reward to be non-foolish, these things have to be put in place for the people going through it. Are they actually free? Is there something pulling them in different directions and they have to make a, the right call? And do they have all the information they need to make the right call? And then it's how do they exercise their free will given being pulled in all these directions? These incentives are pulling them and pushing them. You know, be lazy, go towards pleasure or do the right thing, be strong. Don't. If, you, if you're able to navigate in that and you were given the information you need and you were given the free will, then that's it. You deserve the reward. The reward is not foolish. Okay? And that's the difference between reward and just general benefit. That's why I said it's a lot more interesting to talk about the spiritual gain and spiritual harm. Because it leads to reward. It doesn't lead to automatic you know, gain. Material gain versus material harm. Okay. Here... And this is something I'm going to go over very quickly because I don't want to spend too much time on it. It's something I mentioned last time. With this, we've explained the rules. We've explained all the rules. Given these rules, what we said is there's a short answer that we can give to any problem of evil in the world. By using just three of the rules, we have an answer to all the evils in the world. But that answer is going to be very high level. It doesn't go into any detail. Rule number one said, God does not do any moral wrong. Rule number two said, actually number two we can skip over. Rule number three said, rule number one, God does not do any moral wrong. Rule number three Every actor is responsible for their own action. Rule number four, the link between evil, moral evil or moral wrong and harm is not necessary. So something may be harmful but good, and something may be morally wrong but not harmful. With those three, we're able to go through any evil in the world. So rule number one, it's not God doing the evil. So you get rid of a whole category. You have to dump the evil into something else. So what is this evil we're talking about? Every actor is responsible for their own action. So don't blame God for human actions. That's the short answer. Okay? That's two. And three, there is no necessary link between what is morally wrong and what is harmful which means there may be a benefit to the harm that you're seeing but you're not seeing the benefit you're only seeing the harm with that you no longer face the problem of evil in the world that's the short answer the problem is when someone gives this answer there's always a, a questioning but why <laughs> so why is it this way there has to be some sort of deeper wisdom. Why is it this type of world? Why is it that this is what's happening? What do I gain? What am I not seeing? 
Okay, so what we're going to try to go into is the why, the deeper why. For the deeper why, we need the other rules. But with these rules, with these three rules, rule number one, God does not do any wrong, especially moral wrong. Two, every actor is responsible for their own action. And that was, you know, the second one that we're saying, but that was rule number three. And rule number four, there is no necessary link between moral wrong and harm. With those, we solve any issue of evil, but at a high level. The detail. Before the detail, as I said, I want to spend a little bit of time, and I'll take the rest of the time we have today, because I'm already at 40 minutes, to detail one issue, one topic. And I'm going to try to do it in a way that makes us a little bit more aware of it from the Qur'an. And that topic is the topic of ibtila, of having to go through difficulties in life. Why? Because we said in rule number nine, hopefully I have nine, yes, because I kept switching rules number eight and nine back and forth. Rule nine is tests are good, but they're always harmful. So we need to spend a little bit of time understanding what we mean by tests. What does the Qur'an say about test? If we have that in mind, then we have all the pieces to give the detailed answer. We could have skipped over it, but inshallah you'll see that this is going to be very helpful. First things first. I'm going to try to go fast here, but I need you to listen to the verses. Okay? I'm going to try not to talk too much, and I'm going to use verses of the Qur'an that I think should give a pretty good, clear picture. Okay? This is kind of like a Qur'anic excursion. <laughs> it's a Qur'anic journey about one topic. And inshallah, one day once we finish all of this, and we start getting into you know, more Qur'anic topics, or just Qur'an interpretation in general, you'll see that there are, in the field of Qur'anic commentary, tafsir, exegesis, interpretation, they say there are two types of tafsir. One tafsir they call it tartibi, or sequential. So I, I open the Qur'an at a, any given verse, and I, I explain or understand that verse, and the verse that is right after it, and the verse that is right after that one, and I go on like this. And so we may decide, you know, we're going to take it from the beginning of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Ham, Surah Al-Baqarah, and so on and so forth. This is called tafsir tartibi, it's sequential. I'm following the sequence of the verses as they appear. So one verse tells me Allah, that I have to follow. The next verse starts talking about maybe Prophet Musa and you know his people. And this goes on for maybe 10 verses. And then the verse after that talks about Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And, okay? So I'm going from one topic to another, one subject to another, but following the order of the verses. Sequential tafsir. A second type of tafsir is called a tafsir al-mawdu'i, thematic interpretation. What is that? I take a theme and I go through the entire Qur'an to see what the Qur'an says about that theme. And this is sometimes how our scholars, you know, to, to use the objective language used by, you know, the academic world, let's say, 
They're going to say, we're going to see what the Qur'anic theory is about something. So I may go through all the verses of the Qur'an that talk about economic transactions, and I say, here's the Qur'anic theory about economics. So I go through the Holy Qur'an and I find 20 verses, 30 verses that talk about this. I have to put them together in a way that gives me a coherent theory. I have now something that I can present and say, you want to know what the Qur'an says? I can't just take random verses and just read them one after the other. I have to find which one says what, put them in the right order, and make them say something that makes sense, that's coherent and cohesive and holds together that I can present. And now I have a full picture of what does the Qur'an say about itself? That's a theme. What does the Qur'an say about God? That's a theme. What does the Qur'an say about family relations? Right? So these are themes. So what we're doing now, we're going to do that. But we're going to do that for the topic of, or the theme of, ibtila. And of course, this is a huge topic. We're going to take 10-15 minutes to do it very quickly right now. But this is, you know, something to keep in mind, inshallah, for the future. But this is how, how we would do it. So, first question. Why were human beings created? So let's go through some verses in the Qur'an that talk about this. Okay? Verse number one. In Surah Hud, verse seven, I'll just read them in English. It is he who created the heavens and the earth in six days, and his throne was then upon the water, that he may test you to see which of you is best in conduct. That's one verse. وَهُوَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامٍ وَكَانَ عَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا ابتلاء okay. لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا سورة الملك verse 1 He who created death and life that he may test you to see which of you is best in conduct Surah Al-Ankabut, verses 2 and 3. Do the people suppose that they will be let off because they say we have faith and they will not be tested? Certainly we tested those who were before them. So Allah sh- will surely ascertain those who are truthful and He shall surely ascertain the liars. What does ascertain mean? Confirm. Okay. Surah Al-Imran, verse 179. Allah will not leave the faithful. Allah will not leave those who have faith. Allah will not leave the faithful in your present state until He has separated the bad ones from the good ones. Can you read that in Arabic? To distinguish between the good and the bad. Okay? These verses put together, there's a lot more, okay, but it's just to, to give a sample. The short answer when we read these verses, why were we created? We were created to go through a test. The purpose of our creation is to go through the test. It's not just to live life. We are created to go through the test of life. Every angle, every aspect of it is a test. Okay? So we have to pass the test. Yes? Would you say that a test is a, a, or say, let's for example, test or worship 
are two similar things? I'm going to come to that in a second. Because uh, there's a verse that says, uh, That's, That was the third topic. So these, I'm going through. One, why were we created? We were created to be tested. That's question number one. Why were we created? Short answer, to be tested. One. Two. Do we have, we said what we need is freedom. Okay? Does the Quran confirm this or not? Surah Al-Ma'idah verse 48. And had Allah wished, he would have made you one community. But his purpose required that he should test you in respect to what he has given you. So take the lead in all good works. Okay, so I repeat the, per- the, the part. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have created everybody doing one thing, believing one thing, and that's it. But... He sent stuff to you. He gave you things as a test. To test you with that which He has given you. You're in a race to see who's doing more good. That's the word. You're in a race. So the translation here is so take the lead in all good works. But really, it's to compete for. So be the first, beat the others too, doing the good. Okay? Clear? That's one. Second verse. Surah Yunus, uh, verse 99. And had your Lord wished, all those who are on earth would have believed. Would you then force people until they become faithful? And in Arabic, وَلَوْ شَاءَ رَبُّكَ لَآمَنَ مَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كُلُّهُمْ جَمِيعًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to the Holy Prophet. The Holy Prophet wants everybody to be mu'min. He's killing himself to get everybody to believe and they will not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them, that's what I want. I want them to believe out of their own free will. There's no, I'm not going to impose it on them. And some of them, Ya Rasulullah, accept the fact, and he knows the Rasul, but accept the fact that some of them will never believe no matter what you present to them. And I want it this way because this is the test. I can, of course I can make everybody believe, but then there's no test. What's the point of their creation? The point of their creation is the test. I'm not going to make them believe. They have to believe on their own. And if they choose not to, that's, that's fine. That's okay. That's the whole point of their creation. Okay? So this is the second component. Freedom. Maintaining the freedom of choice. Three, what's the test? And this is the answer. The ultimate test is worship. Now, it manifests itself in different ways. And we're going to talk about the ways in which the test comes up and this is what we see. But behind what we're seeing, ultimately, it's supposed to be worship. So as I'm going through whatever I'm going through, depending on how I act, I'm either worshipping or not worshipping. That's the short answer. What's the test? The test is to be in constant worship. Whoever is in constant worship, they're more successful in the test. Okay? And the short verse that refers to this in Surah Al-Dariyat, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And I have not created 
uh, human beings and the jinn except so that they worship me. Yeah. You were, yeah, sure. Okay, I have, can I answer a bit quick? Sure. Okay, uh, sorry if you have okay, a Go, go, go. But from my uh, point of view, I think uh, you're not forced to worship. And that's the whole point of the test. It's, uh, worship is like the ultimate test, but you, you don't have to worship. If you if you don't pray right now, you're not going to be cursed. There will be a day you'll be judged, but until then, you're not forced. No one's taking you by your hand and telling you you have to pray. You make that choice. So that's a test. Yeah, okay, so but your question, absolutely, but I think his question is, I think, to to keep it short, because that's a big discussion, to keep it short, you're the one distinguishing between these two types of worship. So you're saying there is a forced upon you part, which is you have to pray, you have to fast, you have to read Quran. And then there is, you know, just be good and just do good, and it's actually one thing. You're the one who's putting some of it in one category and one, some of it in another. Your job is to do as you're told. End of story. It's ubudiyah. It's ibadah is one way to say it is to say it's worship. So in English, when you hear worship, you're imagining rituals and acts. But that's, it's, it's a poor translation, but there is no good translation. You have to come line up a few words together to get it. Because it could mean to adore me. That's ibadah. It could be to feel like they are enslaved or servants to me. That's ibadah. Your job is to do as you're told. That's worship. That's ibadah. I shouldn't say it's worship. That's ibadah. So when the Quran says, I have only created you to do ibadah, both of these are the same. You're now creating a category that says, well, these are imposed on me. I have to get up in the morning and do ruka'atian of fajr prayer. And that's different than helping someone. No, not in the logic of God. God told you, you help someone and you get up and you pray. These are one category. It's not, there's no five categories here or three so that you split them up. Your job is to do as you are told. So long as you do as you are told, are you not tricked by, now I'm going to read what you're tricked by, the tests, then you're successful. You are in ibadah. And ibadah here definitely does not mean worship, ritual worship. I have only created human beings and jinn so that they worship. It is not, this does not mean I have only created them so that they pray and fast. It is that they are always in a state of worship, of remembrance, of servitude to me. This does not mean praying and fasting and reading Quran. This is a part of it. It could be 10%, it could be 30%, 50%. But that's it. The rest of the worship is not in this form. 
It's those other things you mentioned. Can you keep that until the next? Because we're going to talk about that directly. Okay. We're going to talk about these different evils yeah. and why we're getting what we're getting in this world and the next. Okay? And then there's a whole discussion about what happens in the afterlife. Okay? So, but this is an excellent question. So, the next, so what did we say until now? We said. First of all, why were we created? We were created for being tested. Two, we have to make sure that, does the Qur'an say we have freedom of will or not? We do. Not only freedom of will, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that's the whole purpose. So even you, Holy Prophet, stop trying to think that we are ever going to force people to believe. This is part of this order, of this system, that some people will never believe. But I want it this way, because that's the test. Two. Three, the test in what? So the ultimate test is worship. Being in a constant state of worship. But the tests in life are in what? Everything. Everything is a test. Some of it is very obvious that you're going through a test. And some of it is not. It's just your level of awareness will make you see, is it a test or not? And how are you supposed to conduct yourself in it? So some people are able to look at 100% of what they're going through, such as a prophet or an imam or, 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 and they can see it as being a test. The good and the bad and the ugly, all of it is a test. All of it. Other people, they may only see 1% of what they're going through as, oh, here's a test. You know, I haven't been tested in three years. Oh, suddenly I'm being tested now. No, that's your lack of awareness that everything else that you're going through, every instant of every day, every breath that you have is actually a test. You're being given something. What are you doing with it? You're being given money. You're being given health. You're being given family. You're being given society to live in, knowledge. Whatever you look at, this is a test. The majority of people though, that's not what wakes them up. So, they need something that shakes them more to wake them up. And we'll talk about that, inshallah, in the next session. Okay? But generally speaking, everything is a test, but some things are much clearer to the majority of people because they're not aware. They're not woke. Right? <laughs> they're, 
They're distracted. And the Holy Quran says, for the majority of people, they're never going to wake up in this life. They're only going to wake up in the afterlife. This is when they see. And Surah Qafi says, فَبَصَرُكَ Now you see. لَقَدْ كُنْتَ فِي غَفْلَةٍ You were distracted from the truth. Now you came to the afterlife. فَبَصَرُكَ الْيَوْمَ حديد. Now your vision has become so clear as though it is, you know, made of iron, uh, metaphorically, in Surah Qaf. The truth was right there in front of you, in life. But you were distracted. لَقَدْ كُنْتَ فِي غَفْلَةٍ no matter what happened to you, you were distracted. Okay? So now the test. Examples of the test. As we said, so in what? The short answer is in everything. But the everything, the majority of people are not aware of it. So you need things that are a bigger slap in the face to wake you up. Examples. Surah Al-Baqarah 155. We will surely test you with a measure of fear and hunger and loss of wealth, and lives, and fruits, and give good news to the patient. Those who, when an affliction visits them, they say, indeed, we belong to Allah, and to Him do we indeed return. It is they who receive the blessings of their Lord, and His mercy, and it is they who are rightly guided. Okay? That's one example. I don't think the majority of us go through this, but you're, the Qur'an is very clear. وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصٍ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَنَقْصٍ مِنَ ال... It doesn't repeat it. وَنَقْصٍ مِنَ الْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ So there's... نَقْصٍ مِنَ الْثَّمَرَاتِ It means there's no food. There's, this is a poverty of the you know, national level. You live in poverty. You live in drought. There's a famine. There is disease. There is war. There is loss of... Life, loss of money, loss of wealth. This is all what? This is not all, all the end of the world and life is depressing and miserable. And And we are going to test you with these things. And the point, and the point is, and give good news to the patient. This is a test. You want to be successful? Be of the sabirin. What's the reward Go back to the notion of reward. What's the reward? Those who, when an affliction visits them, قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ I don't have any rights. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does whatever He wants. I belong to Him, and all these tests also belong to Him. إِنَّا لِلَّهِ I don't have a right over God to give me or not give me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided that He's testing me with this. I belong to Him. قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ We belong to God. And at the end we're returning to him. That's it. I'm at peace. I can endure all of this patiently. And the reward I get, the benefit I get, It is they who receive the blessings or the prayers of God. See, we are always saying, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, send your prayers to Muhammad and his family, well, you want to be of those that God sent his prayers on you, you have to be one of the patient ones when you go through the difficulty and you fall in the same category. Those, it is those who receive the blessings or the prayers of their Lord and his mercy and it is they who are rightly guided. In Surah Al-Fajr, so these are examples of what are we tested in? How do these tests come to us? Surah Al-Fajr, 
In English, as for the human, whenever his Lord tests him and grants him honor and blesses him, he says, my Lord has honored me. Things are good. The next verse. And then when his Lord tests him and tightens for him his provision, suddenly the blessings, whatever you want, is not coming to you. He says, my Lord is humiliating me. No, both of them are a test. The same exact test. But because you want one and you don't want, you think that if you get what you want, it's not a test? It's a test. Just like it's a test that you don't get what you want. Both of them are the same test. But the Quran says we react very differently. Okay? Next one, Surah Al-Anbiya. In case there was any doubt about what we said until now to make it clear. كل نفس ذائقة الموت ونبلوكم بالشر والخير فتنة وإلينا ترجعون. Every soul shall taste death, and we will test you with good and ill by way of test, and to us will you be brought back. So we test you with good, ونبلوكم بالشر والخير. Both, both are a test. Yeah. When uh, the following verse, when he says, that means he did not pass the test? In other words? In, this is, yeah. Another this is Surah Al-Balad. That, that because this is a follow-up right after, right? No, 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 this is Surah Al-Fajr. Okay, it says, He gave him, and he blessed him with what he wants. He honored him. God is honoring me now. And if he tests them, tests him by not giving him, by holding back his sustenance, by holding back what he wants, يقول ربي أهانن. God is humiliating me. كلا بل. Yeah, which is Surah Al-Balad. We'll talk about it, inshallah. Okay, the purpose for the test. We already touched on that in a couple of the verses. Yeah. Some the ayah it says to not do it's, it's uh, it's asking God to not do bala on us. But bala is an opportunity to the hasanat. So we're we're know, what, asking what was the purpose of the of it of it in the in the dua? So in the dua we're asking God to go easy on us. Because we're very weak and we don't have good discipline and we keep failing and we know we keep failing in all the tests. So we're telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go easy on us. Mm-hmm. Imam Ali salam in his life there was someone who says, Allahumma la tabtalina. There was someone who was praying to God and he says, Allahumma la tabtalina. Oh God, do not test us. Imam Ali salam told him, you can't say that. The whole point of our existence is to be tested. He says, he, so he teaches him, he tells him, say, Allahumma la tutl alayna al-bala'a. Do not make the test prolong. You know, when you test me with something, don't keep me in that test. Move me along to something I can handle more easily. Don't keep me in the part that I can, you know I can't handle because I'm weak. And if you read Ad'iyat Imam Sajjad salam, he concentrates on this. And then he says, Ma'asaituke, when I disobeyed you, I did not disobey you because I wanted to disobey you, but because I'm weak. So it's this notion of we know that it's all a test. We're not saying don't test. There's no no testing. 
you're asking for the ease. So that the test is, but the easier the test is, the less reward you get. Yeah. But also, doesn't uh, God say he doesn't test us with something that we can't handle? Yes, and I was going to finish with those points. But exactly. Yeah. No, no, because all of this is one whole. Like, we have to put it all together. Okay, so absolutely. If we're saying that I'm going to test you and you have to run 100 kilometers, how many beings, how human beings can actually run 100 kilometers? Like, what's the point of a test if the test, everybody's going to fall? And here is the point. The point of the test, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying, I want to test you to make you fail. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I want to test you to give you my divine rewards. I want to give you my special mercy. That you, you, not anyone else, you specifically, can only attain through these tests. They're tailor-made for you. If you go through them, you get what I want and I have created for you. You know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Holy Prophet tells Imam Hussain alayhi salam, there's a rank that you will only reach through your shahada, your martyrdom. That rank of yours, Imam Hussain, you can only reach it through your shahada. If you don't go through what you're going to go through, you don't reach that rank. Okay, but that applies to all of us. We have a path, and the outcome, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put something in there for us. But you have to go there through that path to get to what's there for you. And if you don't, well, you're the one who stopped short. You're the one who did not follow the plan that was devised for you. And the plan is tailored for you because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what you can handle and what you can't handle. So He created a plan for you and a different one for me. And the point is, again, this is a very important point. This is the response to those who say, you know, Allah is a jerk. <laughs> okay, He's creating these tests and these evils and these problems. Why? Why is it that I have to go through that? Because it's a reward. Of course, yes, and we're going to come to that, inshallah. This is the distinction between degrees. Okay, so not everybody is the same. That's one. And that's why all to answer this question of, is it just a benefit? No, no, it's not just a benefit. It's a reward. The more you understand the notion of a reward, the more you understand that you're in a race, you're in a test, you're being tested with everything. The better you do, the more reward you get. And it's been tailored for you. So you can't say, this one is unfair to me. It's very fair to you. Everybody is getting what they can handle, the maximum of what they can handle, which means the maximum reward they can get. Anything less means that you are taking away from the maximum reward of someone. If I can reach level 78, but I'm only being given opportunity to reach level 20, well, that's not fair to me. Give me the chance to prove myself and I'll show you that I can reach level 78. If you're at work and they keep giving the, the, the work that offers you a promotion to someone else, you're going to complain. And you're going to say, you're not giving me that work. And they're going to tell you, but you know, this is very heavy work, it requires more experience, it's more complex. You're going to say, I can handle it. Because you know that it's only going through that difficulty that you can show your worth and you can show how far you can go. If you're only being given the easy stuff, you won't show anything. So it's the same thing. There was a question. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so from narrations from Imam and from the Quran, we're always uh, requested and asked to have good intentions of God and good faith in Him. 
But at the same time, Allah says, in um, one verse, He says, Allahumma la tahamminna ma la taqatlana bih. Right? So it's, uh, God do not, uh, do not like weigh us beyond our capacity. So does that mean that certain people deserve to be tested beyond their capacity? So no one was tested beyond their capacity. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you understand where that verse is said, so it's at the very end of Surah Al-Baqarah, it's the last verse of Surah Al-Baqarah, right before there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was telling us how Bani Israel behaved. And the test that they were given, the Qur'an basically keeps saying, and they failed on this one, and they failed on that one, and they failed the one after. And the, and the Qur'an is clear in this, and the Holy Prophet and the Imams are clear that our religion has been relaxed for us. When you compare it to the previous religions, to the laws that were given, let's say, to the Jews, our laws are much easier. Okay, so we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to give us laws that will make us fail like the Jews failed, for instance. Like that's as an example. One, so there's a social dimension. As a ummah, as a community, you don't want to fail like previous ummah failed. It, and they did not fail because God gave them more than they can handle. They made it more than it seems. Well, they failed, but ummah they deserved. That's the, the issue and that... That's a very big topic. But they kept, they kept becoming more and more difficult with God and disobeying and questioning. Every time a prophet would be sent, they question and they disobey and they push back. And So one of the things that kept happening to them is that the laws kept getting more and more difficult. As a punishment. As a punishment in this life. You keep pushing back on them, well, I'm going to keep pushing the laws on you. Here's one more restriction. Here's one more. Maybe you're going to wake up. Here's one more restriction. It's for your own good, the restriction. Because if you obey it, it's going to open a new door for you. It's going to give you more reward. But the truth is, it is a, a difficulty. We're asking God not to fall in that pattern. Not because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would ever give us more than we can handle. But because it will become more difficult for us. Even though it may become more rewarding, it is also more difficult. And so we're saying, you know, please don't give us more than we can handle, in short. Yeah. Okay, so we said, first of all, we were created to be tested. Freedom is a freedom of will and the ability to choose freely in this life as well established in the Qur'an. What are we tested in? Ultimately, we are tested in worship. But the manner in which the tests come to us, it comes through anything and everything. The good and the bad. نَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ وَالْخَيْرِ both of them. Now, fourth point. The ultimate purpose of the tests is what? The ultimate purpose is that we reach the divine special mercy or the reward that is dedicated for us. That's the whole point of the test, yes. Can we, even, can we ever reach Imam Ali's mindset of like worshipping God because he deserves worship and not because of the reward? To worship God because He deserves worship, you can reach. But you can't reach that one of Imam Ali. <laughs> I assure you. <laughs> but we can reach a similar one. You can reach, you can be of those people who worship God because you genuinely, intrinsically understand that God is the type of entity that your type of entity needs to worship. 
Yes, you can reach that, and there are people who reach that. But is it really absolute? Is it pure? Is it sincere? Is there absolutely nothing else to each and their ability? But Imam Ali's understanding of this is never going to be within my reach. And the proof is, it's not because it's theoretically impossible. It's because when you see the people who have said the distance between them and Imam Ali is that great, and you know who they are, such as the other Imams, when they say what they are compared to Imam Ali, then, you know, where am I to go there? You know, how about I just work on, you know, what I can and within reach. Exactly, wake up to Salat al-Fajr. Right? Yeah. Okay. So the purpose, as we said, in short, and as I said, I didn't want to talk too much, the purpose is to reach the divine reward, and that is for us specifically. Surah al-Shura, verse 8. Had Allah wished, He would surely have made them one community, but He admits whoever He wishes into His mercy. And this is admitting into His mercy. And as we said, it is, is it out of foolishness? Is it random? No. You do, it's a reward. You accomplish, you get the honor. You accomplish, you get the reward. That's being admitted into His mercy. Okay? But He admits whomever He wishes into His mercy, and the wrongdoers do not have any guardian or helper. Surah Hud, verses 118-119. Had your Lord wished, He would have made mankind or humankind one community, but they continue to differ except those on whom your Lord has mercy, and that is why He created them. He created them to test them to see who will reach the mercy. And then there's, there's a, a narration from Imam Sadiq Initially he was asked, what does the verse, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ So the Imam said they were created to worship. That was the intent of their creation. And then he was then asked about this second verse, وَلِذَلِكَ خَلَقَهُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I could have made them one community, but they continue to differ. And that is why they were created. So the Imam is, is asked, so why does the verse, verse, first verse say they were created to worship, and now this verse says they were created to defer, to be different? The difference comes from what? comes from their free will. It's not that, that it cancels or it contradicts. It's ultimately they were created to worship. But they were also created with a free will that makes some of them worship and some of them not. And so therefore, they are created to be different. Because they were given free wills and they're not going to use them in the same manner. So the Imam, to answer this, so he was asked first, what about the first verse? He said they were created to worship. What about the second verse? So he said they were created to do that which allows them to earn the mercy. And that's the worship. So there's no difference between the verses. But here, the insistence is on the free will. The other one is the law, the categorical rule. You're created to worship. Now some of you are not going to worship. And that's fine, that's what I wanted. I wanted to give you the freedom to choose to worship or not, and each will lead you to a different path. And then, in Surah At-Tawbah, verse 21, their Lord gives them the good news of His mercy, so again, we're talking about what? We're talking about, to, to, I always try to keep the last verse to wrap it up as a topic, to so wrap up the topic of reaching the divine mercy, reaching the divine reward, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يُبَشِّرُهُمْ These are the people going to heaven. يُبَشِّرُهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِرَحْمَةٍ مِنْهُ وَرِضْوَانٍ Their Lord gives them the good news of His mercy. So that's a different kind of mercy. This is not the mercy that He creates the whole universe with. This is a special, an additional kind of mercy that you get for being a believer. This is the reward. This is the honor. Okay, it's special to you. Their Lord gives them the good news of His mercy and His pleasure. So He is satisfied with you specifically. And for them there will be gardens of lasting bliss. Um, the rest, I had three more points. I'm going to leave them for the next time. And inshallah we'll have time to finish. I'm really trying to finish the topic in one more sitting. So inshallah we'll go quickly over it. We've already been talking for an hour and a half today, so I don't think uh, we should keep going.